Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Female Founders Network, a podcast brought to you by Invoice to Go. I'm your host, Nat, and I'm joined by my co host, Sylvie. Hey, everyone. We record our show in the Forbes Street studio in downtown Sydney, Australia, but we bring guests from all over the world. So you'll hear people from the US, the United Kingdom, Europe, the Asia Pacific, anywhere that we find women who lead and inspire others. This is a great podcast for women who are navigating business ownership, leadership, or just life. Each episode should connect you with someone else's story, but also leave you with practical tips and advice that you can use in your own life and in your own business. Hi guys, today we're speaking with Sharon Melamed, the digital entrepreneur who founded a business matchmaking platform, Matchboard. In this episode, you'll hear Sharon's tips on how she grew Matchboard from a light bulb moment idea to a thriving and award-winning business that has helped more than 3,000 companies get matched with their perfect suppliers. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hi Sharon, how are you today? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? So good. And where are you calling in from? I am in sunny Sydney, Australia today. Yes. Ah. And what part of the city are you in? Uh, Queen's Park, Queen's which is Park. a very beautiful spot. Oh, gorgeous. Eastern gorgeous. suburbs. Yes. For those of you in the Northern Hemisphere listening right now, it's our summer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that makes everybody so sad. I, I grew up in um, America and it's everybody's watching my Instagram stories and stuff. And then just they're like really up mad at me (laughs) yeah I know I actually lived in the States for 10 years myself so Mm. I know but then come sort of June sort of period we get or they get to have the laugh on us right (laughs) yes it's true and there's there isn't well in my world there isn't very good central heating in Australia so yeah wow so Sharon so you lived in the US for 10 years can you tell us your life story yes everything about you and your career so far please well I'm not going to tell you everything because that would involve giving away a few secrets. Okay. Yeah, so I'm born and bred in Sydney and um, I've lived and worked in four other countries. Wow. I've lived in the US, Israel, Japan and Germany. Wow. And part of the reason I've spent so much time overseas is because I just love experiencing other cultures mm-hmm. and I've actually got a passion for foreign languages as well. I speak five um, wow. because I find, yeah, that's the best way to truly get to know people in, in other countries. Oh my gosh. Which languages so, do you speak? Well, I'm an accredited translator in Japanese and German, but I also wow. speak Hebrew, uh, having an Israeli husband, and I speak French and, of course, English. Oh, oh my goodness. That's amazing. That is incredible. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, um, in terms of my career and all that, uh, I went straight from university uh, to work for a very entrepreneurial Japanese company, mm-hmm. uh, Japanese being one of my languages, and they transferred me from Sydney to San Francisco and then on to New York. And I think in between, I must have done 40 trips to Tokyo. So I'm very well traveled. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So um, at this Japanese firm, uh, I spent 15 years there and uh, I worked my way up to Senior Vice President International, having started as a call center agent. Wow. (laughs) That's inspirational in itself. Wow. Yeah. We want to hear that story too. (laughs) Yeah. That was interesting. I only lasted three months as a call center agent, but uh, it did make me have appreciation of that being a very tough job that um, 
you know, a lot of people don't understand how, how complex it is. You've mm, got to know yeah. so much. So, uh, but anyway, business development was in my blood. And so that's the path I took. And I was just lucky that this um, Japanese firm uh, took a gamble on me and um, let me transfer overseas and pursue my, my dreams there. Um, and it went so well. I had an amazing time in the U.S., not to mention meeting my husband, having my first child there. Um, but the company I was with IPO'd and I was one of the founding management team. I think now they have a market cap of more than a billion dollars, oh um, which I definitely can't take credit for. <laughs> but um, oh. it was a very entrepreneurial company, which gave me the entrepreneurial bug. So after I um, had my first child in New York, I came back to Sydney and uh, I'm now running a growing business of my own on my own purse strings this time, and and I'm loving every minute of it. And that's Matchboard. Yes, that's right, Matchboard. Amazing. So tell us the story about Matchboard, how you came to think of the idea and what Matchboard actually does. Yeah, it's um, quite an interesting backstory. So Matchboard is a business matchmaking site, and the truth is I've I've always loved matchmaking and setting up people. <laughs> so, Aww. yeah, I set up my brother with his wife. Both of them were in Sydney, and I did that from Central Park in New York. <laughs> um, yeah, and they're happily married. I set up my student teacher with another teacher at high school even. Can't believe I did that. No way. <laughs> and, um, and before I met my husband, I actually used confession, a dating site for a few months. Mm. And that planted the seed for my business idea because I hmm. I realized that if people can type in, you know, brown I want brown hair, blue eyes, big muscles, then and get a short list of matches, then why can't businesses type in their needs? Which are very different of course, but things like <laughs> budget, uh, service yep. required, industry, timeline and get a short list based on those filters. Mm. So at the very heart of it, Matchboard is like a business version, a B2B version of a dating site. Wow. that's Yeah, it makes perfect sense. It's kind of one of those businesses that I'd never thought would think of the idea myself, but now that you say it, it's just so obvious that that is a great idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's really filling a need. And, and I guess... Um, it took a while for it to sink in that, oh, my God, you know, here's my moment of truth. I, mm -hmm. this, this is a, a true business idea that no one else is doing. But uh, it actually happened that wake-up call when um, I was searching on Google for something. Um, and I was just going through, you know, the millions of search results you get presented when you type in a few keywords. Mm -hmm. Like, let's say you're looking for a digital marketing service yeah. or um, an offshore staffing service or whatever it is. Mm. Um, and then you type that in and you put your head in your hands because you feel like, oh, my God, I don't have the time to go through all these search results. Mm. Um, and it's very frustrating. And I actually think it's a broken experience. Yeah, like which one so do you trust? That's the biggest thing as well. Which one do you trust? Mm. Exactly. And do you have time even to go past page one? Because the people on page one are not necessarily good at all. They could be just the ones with the best SEO consultant. Yep. So I thought right there is a problem I can solve, bringing in that dating experience and saying instead of wading through all these search results, we can just ask the user to spend 60 seconds filling in their needs 
And then instead of 300,000, it's like three. Oh, wow. Results. So, so do you swipe right on Matchboard? Or? <laughs> <laughs> it's not an app. So, no. it's just a, so it is a mobile-friendly website, though, but so mm-hmm. it's not swipe, but it's similar. Um, and, and it really works. And uh, I guess the reaction I got from people was just like you, you know, uh, you know, why doesn't this exist already? Yeah. Uh, which I thought of. Um, and so there was that bit of disbelief. But that's where the best business ideas start, I think, is mm-hmm. where you have this um, moment where you realize no one else is doing it. Yeah. So yeah. how did you actually launch it? So you, you got the idea um, for this website. Did you go and raise money? Did you find a technical co-founder? Or what, what did you do to launch? Yeah, I didn't go down the route of finding a co-founder. I just wanted to get this baby up myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I also bootstrapped. So um, when I started Matchboard, I'm an oldie. I was 45. <laughs> <laughs> That's not old. That is not old. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually was at the point in my life where um, I could afford to take a financial risk, which I wouldn't have been able to do in my 20s, for yeah. example. And so that's why I've saved up enough money to take a risk for a year to see if this would fly. And, um, but I did get a bit of a rude shock day one of the business because my first task was to find someone to develop the matching platform. Mm-hmm. And I typed in, this is uh, the ultimate sort of uh, <laughs> uh, proof that there was need for my service. I typed in um, website development Australia and I got a million search results and I went yeah. through them spent days, shortlisted 10 companies that looked good. Seven of them never got back to me. Mm. Two of them gave me an outrageous um, price Mm -hmm. and one really just didn't understand my needs. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've resigned from my job and the platform cannot be developed within the budget I have. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then as fate would have it, I was on a plane the next week to Israel for a holiday to see my in-laws and uh, came across a company that was so entrepreneurial, a development company, and they said, you know what, we'll do this for you at cost if you let us use the source code in the domestic Israeli market, which I had no designs on. And so instead of it costing me a six-figure sum, it cost me $20,000 to get off the ground. Wow. Hmm. And this Um, is a company that you found in Israel? Well, I founded it in Australia, but I happened to be on a holiday in Israel, and that's where I found my technical um, partner, if you like. Amazing. Um, but, you know, it, not an equity partner, just a, a service provider, but they're still with me today, eight years later. They've been absolutely amazing. And had they not come with that entrepreneurial proposal, I don't know if I would have ever been able to launch Matchboard. Yeah. So I guess you have to think outside the box. And it did help that on the plane I was reading a book called The Lean Startup by Eric yeah. Ries. Yeah. yeah, okay. What a read. You would get around those, right? And yeah. so I really had in my head, I've got to find ways around. I've got to find ways to do things without spending. And, and that was sort of the mindset I had in the beginning that really worked. Yeah, just push something out, see if it works, and then build and keep iterating until you find that product market fit. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So with that first version then, how has um, Matchboard kind of changed over time? Did you run little experiments and A-B tests to kind of evolve it into what it is today, or has it pretty much just stayed the same over those eight years? Uh, well, um, the online platform has expanded, that's for sure, in mm-hmm. terms of the services we match. It's sort 
sort of started in a niche around call center and back office services. Mm -hmm. And now we cover hundreds. We cover digital marketing services, data services, training, consulting, and and all sorts. Um, In addition to the online platform, um, the Matchboard actually evolved to include an events offering. It's still matchmaking, but we matchmake one vendor to uh, a room full of potential clients. Mm And um, that was going really well. And then COVID-19 hit. Hmm. Um, And it took us a few months, but we eventually pivoted that business entirely online and it's booming. But, um, you know, it's been a real evolution, I would say, uh, but stuck to the core vision, the core values that I started out with. I think you've got to stay true to that part, even if you do pivot your products. Yeah, no, definitely. And you, uh, what, what is your vision then for Matchboard? Do you see this as like an international company? Are you international or are you just in Australia at the moment? Uh, yes, so we received a government grant to expand to the UK market. Wow. And I developed a licensing model. Um, originally, I tried hiring a country manager. Mm-hmm. Um, that was very difficult to find, retain and manage and motivate someone 5,000 miles away. So I switched around to a licensing model and um, hired somebody um, as a licensee. Um, And that was going brilliantly. They unfortunately had some health issues, had to leave the business. And uh, that was January this year. I was going to fly to the UK and find a replacement in April and uh, can no longer do that. So I'm managing the business remotely from Australia, but the UK site is going well and has huge potential. And um, maybe in a year's time, the US, uh, my old stomping ground might be the next stop. Oh, yeah. Wow. So obviously you, you started in Australia, now you expanded in the UK. How did you get your first customers? Obviously, you mentioned that you had like a bit of a niche. How, how did that look? Did people find you on Google, ironically? Or what was your strategy there to get your first customers on there? Yes, um, and it is ironic that one of the world's biggest search engines actually used Matchboard to find a supplier themselves. <laughs> I won't say who. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think um, with the niche, it was basically uh, around the experience I'd had throughout my career in business process outsourcing. So yeah. I actually, on, you know, there's two sets of customers that we have, buyers and suppliers. Mm-hmm. The suppliers, I knew them all in that space and had no no problem, signing them up to our platform. Um, and then it was a case of getting the buyers. One of my key strategies early on was LinkedIn. Um, I think every startup should decide on their social media platform of choice mm-hmm. and just master it. And LinkedIn, I always talk about as being like a free lunch because you can really organically grow a business without spending anything yeah. um, if you're smart about the way you use it. So... Um, I remember day one when I launched the business, I shared that with my network on LinkedIn and I said, could you do me a huge favor? I don't ask favors often of my network, but can you share the link to my new website on LinkedIn? And I think 50 people took me up on that. That's so good. Yeah, I got three clients day one. And that just reinforced to me the power of social media and when a post goes viral, you know, it can 
just catapult your business. But overnight. also just your hustle to go out and ask all of your yeah. network to post. I think that says a lot because I think sometimes founders and especially female founders feel quite shy about it and don't want to be a bother and don't want to, you know, put themselves out there too much. But actually, you really have to push and and ask people to share? Yeah. Yeah, definitely in the early stages, you really need to be a go-getter with everything. Mm. Um, it was just, yeah, so I, I just went out to my network and, and really just, um, you know, got on my knees and asked for a referral. <laughs> Thank people. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I developed, from that, I actually developed a referral partner network where we financially incentivized referrals from so many individuals and even industry associations and uh, other groups. And um, those are the best sources of business. Referrals convert better than anything. Yeah, that's so true. Like, I think that's not only true in B2B, but there's any um, kind of field, isn't it? Word of mouth and referrals. Yeah. Word of mouth and referrals. Yeah. Yeah. But you can't just have, I guess, one silver bullet strategy. So, Mm. SEO, I think from a volume perspective, has been the best uh, ROI um, for Matchboard in my experience. A lot of people don't like it because it's sort of a long-term thing, requires a lot of effort as opposed to just running a Google yeah. ad. And how long did but, it take for your SEO strategy to really start working? Uh, it probably took six to 12 months, but mm-hmm. that was eight years ago. I think you can get traction faster now. Um mm-hmm much faster than that. But, um, you know, it's a sort of thing where SEO has developed into such an art and science. You really need external help to do it properly yeah. these days. It's not like it used to be where you just push out a piece of quality content and then everyone comes. Uh-huh. That's been a big learning curve for me is just understanding SEO principles and um, leveraging them to my benefit. Yeah. Well, yeah. Would you say that would be a piece of advice that you'd give a business owner who's launching a, a website or platform that they should invest in SEO? I think so. But any good SEO consultant will tell you, can't help you unless you have content. Mm-hmm. So um, really one of the, the key planks for any startup should be having a content strategy, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and we agree. Uh, if, yes. <laughs> yeah. If you can't write yourself, outsource to the experts, and mm. you know, get your content calendar all mapped out, and um, and then be opportunistic as well. Um, so, for example, I found PR to be a great strategy for a startup, uh, in, because you've really got to build a brand from mm. scratch. And um, SEO is great, but um, in terms of rapidly getting in front of lots of people. Um, an, an effective PR campaign across different channels. Yeah, and did you use a PR company for that, or how? Because PR is one of those funny things where you get you can sometimes get roped into you know being on a retainer with a PR firm. And yeah, I've experienced this before where um, with a past business that actually failed of mine is that I had a P- I thought oh, I'll go with PR, but then it just didn't like I was paying like really high amounts every month for this PR company and just wasn't seeing that like we got into some good publications but then it wasn't really like working that well so I don't know is is that just my experience or what are your tips on having good PR campaigns absolutely I could not afford as a startup uh, a retainer based arrangement with a PR firm but what I did do is I used a PR consultant a freelance consultant without the overheads of a big agency Mm -hmm. um, to two sort of spot campaigns 
And nice. from that process, I, I actually said to them, I want to learn from you because ultimately I want a, a DIY approach. I can't afford your services ongoing. And, and I was very transparent about that up front. And so I sort of got a little bit of coaching as part of the two little projects I did. They only cost me a few thousand dollars each. But, um, and, and that was several years ago. And since then, I've never used a PR agency. And I've come to the conclusion that getting media coverage is way easier than people think. Right, okay. You just follow a few key um, principles and, and also don't kid yourself that, you know, growing 50% in one month is going to make the news because no one really cares about that. Yeah. Um, people like to read stories and, it, you know, often when it's got an emotional sort of angle as well, mm-hmm. um, you know, immigrants coming to the country, first generation and making it, you know, this incredible success and, and there's a whole story behind it. I find if you, those angles really do well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also taking advantage of what's going on in the world and, you know, what special days are there in the calendar. So you can look up, you know, if you're a cafe and there's World Coffee Day, that's a PR opportunity right there because all the media wants stories around coffee. (laughs) So just look up all the days in the year and find, okay, how could I relate to that one? And um, journalists are, you know, hungry for that. They, um, they They need content. It's a synergistic thing between... Businesses and journalists say they need each other and you just got to know how to approach them. Yeah, and that's I think that's so right, like having a story to tell rather than just a, a product announcement, which is yes, a, like exactly. just shouting through a megaphone at people when they don't really, this doesn't have any meaning to their life. But if you can make a story around the product and why it's exciting, then. Yeah, yeah. story around storytelling, story yeah. Huh, yeah, great advice, thank you. And then, okay, so that's like an amazing tip for, um, I think, a lot of founders to take away. Like, do you have any more that you can share on how you grew your business? Okay, so how I grew my business, um, I talked about mastering a social media channel, that's Mm -hmm. a must. Um, I'd say measuring, a lot of businesses don't do this, but it's common sense really. Measure where your business is coming from and then scale those channels that are working and producing the biggest results to grow Mm -hmm. your business. So I am fanatical uh, about uh, Google Analytics. I've got it open on my desktop or my phone as an app um, all day long and just watching like a hawk um, how people interact with the website mm-hmm. and um, where where the uh, requests are coming from. Setting up goals in Google Analytics is an absolute must for any online business owner. Um, so... That would be my tip. And then also, like I mentioned before, that mindset when you start out of being a go-getter, you never think someone is too senior to approach if you have a solid idea for working together. I've emailed CEOs at big companies and they're some of the best to respond because they have PAs, (laughs) personal (laughs) assistants, and and, um, you're more likely, even if it's to say, look, no, I'm not the right person, but I'm happy to put you in touch with um, you know, Joe Blow and um, and getting to someone that way. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of, particularly women, uh, again, um, are a bit nervous about doing that and yeah. just reaching out to senior execs that they've never had a connection with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, what have you got to lose? 
Uh, just go for it. <laughs> and also build up your personal LinkedIn network. So by the time you actually reach out, they, they've seen a face and um, they've seen your credentials. And so it's warm. So um, I do a lot of that is, is building my network and then doing the email outreach in a very personalized way. I find mm. that growing your business with sort of a spray gun blanket marketing approach just doesn't work and you've got to be personalized in your communications to um, to touch people, to make them realize this is not just a marketing campaign. Yeah. It's actually reaching out to me because they understand my industry dynamics or they understand uh, who I am and what my problems might be that need solving. Do you think that your outreach as the founder of Matchboard as well really resonates with people because it's great to hear from the founder of that of a business themselves? I do. I do think so. Everybody likes a good founder, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, I think there's this mood, this sentiment in business, in in the big corporate world, that it makes sense to collaborate with startups mm-hmm. and to partner with them because startups bring the innovation, the big businesses bring the customers, the database, the brand, but together it's like one plus one equals three. You can do so much. So I think a trend that I've seen in the last several years is that growing collaboration between startups and big companies. And um, again, don't be afraid to to approach a big company with a partnership idea. Yeah, mm. yeah, definitely. I feel like we should mention that you're an award-winning entrepreneur because you've actually won a host of different awards, such as um, um, Top 10 Women Entrepreneurs in Australia, Suncorp Innovator of the Year. Um, you won the Westpac Businesses of Tomorrow in 2017. How did that feel? Did, did you feel like that was, you know, like a moment of like real success? Did it help accelerate your growth? Oh, definitely. But it was five years before I had plucked up the courage to apply for an award. I mean, classic case of imposter syndrome. Oh. Um, and that was the Westpac one in 2017. And once I won a place in their cohort of, you know, the most promising 200 businesses in Australia, I thought, yeah. oh, my God. Maybe I am a bit better than I think and I can do this. And I just jumped on the awards bandwagon. <laughs> um, I started applying madly for like maybe seven or eight awards a year. Yeah. And I actually got somewhere with about half of them. Amazing. So um, I just got incredible benefit from that process. I would encourage anyone to apply for awards. Yeah, the brand awareness <laughs> uh, is just amazing. And Brand yeah. awareness, credibility, even just that validation for yourself, mm-hmm. uh, I think is is a real sort of moment of recognition that you may not get from anywhere else. Um, so I strongly recommend it. I call the award logos that I've won, that I'll put on my email signature and everywhere I can, my badges of trust. Oh. Because People trust you when they see those logos, when they see Westpac, when they see Optus has awarded you. They um, automatically think, oh, they must be good. They must be worth talking to. Yeah. And that's sort of getting you to first base um, before you've even started. Yeah, and I think it applies to like both, obviously, your business as a service, but also in products, if you can get um, awarded a a gold standard award for whatever industry you're in or you're an eco-friendly brand and you get, um, you know, B Corp or like all of these different kind of awards and um, recognitions that you can get, then that's exactly it. It helps you to build trust. And I think mm. maybe like my initial 
um, what I used to think was that people just got these awards and that it's not something that you actually have to go through an application process for. So would, would you recommend everyone to kind of look up awards that they could potentially apply for and then just go for it? Yeah, I, I think maybe make a, a list of um, 10 awards programs mm-hmm. to consider and start with the ones that don't require 50 hours of preparation because there are <laughs> ones like that. <laughs> wow. Start with one that maybe requires a few hours to fill in the application form so you haven't actually lost any time really and um, you've thrown your hat in the ring and mm. you may very well be surprised. And, and not as many people as you think enter these award programs, um, mainly because they can't be bothered doing the writing. Mm. And again, if that's an issue for someone, there are people who specialize in writing award applications on your behalf. <laughs> you don't have the time. Oh, yeah, of course. There's also people that write grants on your behalf if you're looking for government grants. So that's also something to bear in mind is that you don't actually, you know, I think you give like a percentage of the grant money that you get exactly. but then it's worth that, it if because they're, they're professionals yeah. mm. you can outsource anything these days so there's there's literally no excuse for not doing things <laughs> that might bring you benefit can we find award writers on matchboard you can absolutely <laughs> well there you go that, that's where you need to go to first everyone <laughs> <laughs> that's right so if someone's listening and they want to use matchboard can you just tell us where to find you Oh, of course. I'd love to. So it's simply matchboard.com.au. And on the homepage, you can just click on the service that you're looking for and away you go. The process is very user-friendly from there. And we typically get back to people in minutes or hours with their perfect match shortlist. Amazing. And if you're in the UK, is that matchboard.co.uk? It's actually a different brand in the UK because Matchboard was taken. (laughs) So over there, it's aboutmatch.co.uk. Nice. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Sharon. It's been amazing speaking to you. And it's like, I've I've felt like I've taken loads of really great takeaways away from this conversation. I'm sure um, everyone listening will too. Oh, thank you so much. I was really delighted to have the opportunity to talk to you today. Uh, It was so good meeting you, and I'm sure we'll stay in touch. And please reach out over LinkedIn. Absolutely. I've sent you a LinkedIn connection already. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, beautiful. Yeah, chat soon. Thanks, Sharon. Bye now. Thanks. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by Invoice2Go. We're an invoicing and billing app that helps business owners work and get paid from anywhere, at any location around the globe. And we're helping close the gender-based pay gap. Because the current US gender-based pay gap sits at around 19%, listeners of the Female Founders Network podcast will get exactly 19% off of any subscription. Just use the code EMPOWERWOMEN at checkout.